This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramone in for Charles Feldman, who's recovering, uh, tending to a broken foot. So here we are again. Another round of technical glitches for Southwest Airlines. And speaking of airlines, who is responsible for cleaning up after a messy kid on your flight? Also, Mayor Karen Bass releases her budget for the city and how she wants to spend our money. Well, we are going to start with another bad day for Southwest and thousands of its passengers. Joe Bracatelli is a travel advisor and publishes the website joesentme.com. Joe, not that there's ever a good time for this to happen, but this truly is the worst timing for Southwest Airlines, especially after coming off the heels of that disaster that happened over the travel uh, holiday season in December, right in the middle of the Christmas travel season. Over 17,000 flights canceled then, and now travelers again hit with more cancellations after a ground stop. Is Southwest going to make it? Oh, I think Southwest will be fine financially. Um, and, and Elsa and Rob, this is the weird thing. The numbers today are very peculiar. Southwest has canceled fewer flights today than Delta, United, and JetBlue. The problem is their delays. Half of their flights now around the country, and that's more than 2,000 flights, have been delayed. So I, I say this is, you know, this is not a broken foot like Charles is dealing with. This is another <laughs> black eye. Um, and it's Southwest has a huge and deep reserve of, of customer goodwill. But they really are testing it, and it's the same issues over and over. They just don't have the tech they need to run the airline that they're trying to run right now. And as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Southwest has kind of a different way they stagger their flights, uh, different from some of their airlines. For example, other airlines might have some delays here and there, but it doesn't affect the entire network. Uh, that's that's what's uh, one of the things wrong with Southwest, isn't it? Or have they corrected that? If, if, uh, if a flight is delayed here, it delays everybody else down the line. Well, every airline, Rob, does it slightly differently. Most of the major carriers use what is called a hub-and-spoke system so that many of the flights go back and forth between two specific cities, like L.A. and San Francisco, for example. The same plane just goes up and down uh, between the two cities. So if there's a problem with that aircraft, only one city is affected, or two cities. Southwest runs a sort of point-to-point operation where a flight that starts in L.A. might then go to Minneapolis and then Chicago and then Detroit, and then on to Boston. So if that flight is messed up, five cities are involved. But the problem generally with Southwest is they don't have the infrastructure they need to schedule, crew, manage, and maintain. And that hasn't changed much from Christmas because you just can't invent this stuff overnight. You just can't throw, as as Mayor Bass found out, you just can't throw money at encampments and expect to work. You have to have the infrastructure. Southwest well, doesn't have the infrastructure. Well, Southwest did say that, and they admitted to that uh, in December when travelers were dealing with that. But they're also saying they've got technical problems, too, that are antiquated as well. They said that this is an intermittent technology issue, and there were data connection issues resulting from a firewall failure that led to the ground stop this morning. If these systems are so antiquated and we keep having these problems, at what point is Southwest going to start making upgrades on these systems before these loyal travelers start to uh, turn to other airlines? Well, Elsa, it's a, it's a good question. 
Everything you mentioned sounds like ta- techno babble to the average traveler, though. The bottom line is Southwest's infrastructure, all of it that's not planes and pilots and flight attendants and, and aircraft maintenance, all the technology stuff, all the computers, was built for an airline that Southwest Airlines was in the 1990s. We're now 30 years out. They were way behind. You cannot fix that in three months, no matter how much money you throw at it. It's just massive. It's, it's several years' worth of investments you'll have to do. So Southwest is going to have to be more careful, and this morning they weren't careful. And that led to really what was only a 20-minute ground stop, but that's all it takes. The bigger issue, I think, is what this is going to portend for all travelers this summer. And I don't like what I'm seeing coming out. I think none of the airlines are prepared for the busy travel summer season we may be facing. All right. Looking forward to the headaches. Thanks. Uh, Joe Brancatelli, <laughs> travel advisor, and uh, publishes uh, the website uh, joesentme.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. You can find the KNX In-Depth podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up in just a few minutes on KNX In-Depth, who is responsible for cleaning up after messy kids on a flight? The parent or the flight attendant? You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon. And still to come, we dig into Mayor Karen Bass's state of the city and check on her progress in bringing down the city's homeless population. But right now, though, Rob, a big debate. A mom on a United flight flying with her two young kids was asked by flight attendants to clean up a mess left on the floor by the kids. The Internet is hot over this right now. It has raised all types of issues from parenting styles to the obligations of the flight attendants. Laura Einsettler is a veteran and active commercial airline pilot with over 30 years of experience. I'm sure, Laura, you've seen all kinds of situations play out as a pilot. Um, What do you think of this situation? And do you think both parties are guilty, maybe a little bit, one or the other? What's your take? (laughs) Well, as an airline captain for a major U.S. airline, these are the kind of things that, uh, you know, we it's small potatoes for us personally, but we want to make sure that our customers and our passengers have the best flight experience possible. So what I can say absolutely for sure is that the flight attendants are there for our safety. They're actually really highly trained. Um, It's 10 to 12 weeks of training that they have, and they're tested every year to know every single aircraft, all the different equipment, the rules, regulations, procedures, and all different emergency circumstances. And we have aircraft cleaners to do this kind of work. What's the, uh, uh, give us some of your personal experience. Uh, What's your worst experience you've had with uh, uh, a kid on a flight that you knew about? Well, there's different situations. That's why you see some of these websites that actually have passenger shaming videos and (laughs) pictures so that other passengers can actually call each other out and say, hey, this is what was actually going on. Um, I personally have flew with two of my toddlers uh, several different times, and I just never would think that it would be anyone else's responsibility other than myself to clean up after my own kids. And not whether it's a restaurant, an aircraft, a bus, a- anywhere. Right. Uh, Laura, I, I have two kids. Um, I started flying with them when they were just months old. 
sold both of them uh, so they could get used to doing it and make sure they knew the etiquette of of respecting everybody else around them on the flight. But in this particular case right now, that's got everybody talking. Uh, Sydney Ray Bass, the wife of MLB pitcher Anthony Bass, they've been very vocal on Twitter and social media about this situation, about how she says she was forced by the airline attendant to get on her hands and knees and pick up all the popcorn uh, that her toddler spilled all around her on the floor. I agree with you in the sense that it is your job to take care of your kids and try to keep things as neat as possible. And yes, there are people on the flights to clean up, but that doesn't necessarily mean to take advantage. What do you think uh, in this situation um, on both sides of this? Because there's well, there could be a little bit of both here. What I can say that I think that this would help sway the argument one way uh, is that what happens is when the aircraft, once we get to the gate, if the aircraft cleaners have to spend any sort of extensive amount of time in any one area or location, that delays the next flight. So we can't board the next group of people coming on board and get out on time to get the next group of passengers to where they want to be. So it ends up kind of being a snowball effect. So that I'm sure is something that was maybe partially in play in this circumstance. Um, I just think that it's common courtesy and especially in the time of, you know, COVID and post pandemic and things like that, you know, there's the, the health hazards too, really. And there's other kind of misbehaviors that we see on flights. Of course, we all know adults can can act like children uh, on some of these flights because I think the stress of flying gets to them. I mean, who knows what really the issue is. But I've been on some flights with some kids, and a crying baby is like, well, the baby is crying. That's what babies do. Uh, but but I was on a flight with a kid running up and down and then was uh, sitting in empty seats and kicking the seat in front. And the flight attendant was trying to talk to the parent like, please, Corral, your, your kid's got to be put in a seatbelt. The parent refused to do anything about it. So the flight attendants did that. And she just, she hit the roof. How dare you do that to my kid? Uh, it, in situations like that, don't you ever wish that maybe you could just maybe uh, uh, fly the plane down to a low, lower level, uh, give those parents a parachute and send them out the door? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of us would vote for that. <laughs> Absolutely. There would be an eject button at every seat. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's your own kids you want to <laughs> parachute out of. <laughs> I mean, but, but I, you know, in this case in particular, part of the uh, argument that the wife was making and her husband, Anthony Bass, and her sister has chimed in too. She's famous, Jesse James Decker, who's married to former NFL wide receiver Eric Decker. They've all chimed in and it's keeping the conversation going on social media. But one of the arguments they made for why this was so bad was because she's pregnant and uh, her sister said she's high risk pregnancy and she's traveling alone with two young children and that this flight attendant told her that the captain told her to pick up quote, every drop. I, you know, I mean, I don't know at what point uh, from a pilot's perspective, do you draw the line and say, okay, um, you know, maybe this isn't the best situation. Maybe it could have been handled a little bit better. Maybe they could have worked together uh, because it sounds like at least from their point of view that she was solely made to clean up the entire mess by herself. Yeah, this is the, you know, for me, and I'm sure most pilots would say this, for us, it always goes back to safety. And and that includes health safety as well. And so if to 
really, I mean, we, I, there was a time, okay, I'll just say this going halfway from here, Southern California to Hawaii, I didn't realize. And we knew that there was then somebody on board. I found out halfway across that, um, she was very extremely pregnant and high risk. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, she was having some health situations and things like that. It's just not the time to be flying. <laughs> so right. you want to look at your health and those risks and those factors uh, before making the decision, hey, let's even put myself mm -hmm. in a situation like this. So, yeah, I mean, everybody working together is always the ideal situation, uh, looking out for each other, um, keeping each other accountable for things, because really, ultimately, it's, hey, if something happens, we need to look out for each other in an emergency and along those lines. All right. Uh, Laura Einsettler, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, active commercial airline pilot. Coming up in just a few minutes on KNX In-Depth, breaking down the state of Los Angeles next. You are listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Elsa Ramon with Rob Archer. LA Mayor Karen Bass delivered her first State of the City address last night. She gave us a sober accounting of the work that's left to be done to make the city better. Today, uh, she unveiled her $13 billion budget proposal, which is heavy on fighting homelessness and boosting public safety. We're going to break this all down. We are uh, set for two guests today, but uh, we're waiting for the other one. For right now, let's talk to Wendy Gruel, uh, formerly served as LA City Controller and as a uh, member of the LA City Council. Uh, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. Glad to be with you. So uh, you uh, have seen some of this proposal, this budget proposal. Uh, give us your top line thoughts on that. Well, I think what uh, Mayor Bass's uh, budget puts forward is one, not only a, a balanced budget that also reflects the priorities of uh, Los Angeles and her priorities, and rightly so, focuses on homelessness, 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 and public safety, in addition to many other things. I think it is a investment in addressing some of those critical issues, and I think it's a great first budget. You know, I know she said, Wendy, in her address last night that she admits that uh, things are not where they need to be in L.A. right now, but she feels everyone is building a new L.A. together after 127 days in office and, and making such wonderful promises that sound really good. How much of this really of the power is in her hands? Uh, we had yesterday KNX talk to political science professor Fernando Guerra from LMU, and he said there's only so much she can do because her hands are tied. She really can't make much of a difference when it comes to policy change. So how much of these changes are we really going to see? Well, I uh, had the pleasure of working for Mayor Bradley uh, in my younger years for 10 for 10 years, and I saw what he used the bully pulpit to be able to make change. Karen has that same uh, attitude. Um, and you've seen in her brief 127 days, you know, Mayor Bass has talked to the president of the United States, the governor of the state of California, in close contact with the Board of Supervisors, and is making sure that everyone understands it will take all of them to uh, address this issue. And that is something she utilized when she was running for office. She talked about, I'm gonna be a mayor uh, of Los Angeles that is going to work uh, not only uh, across government, across the aisles, because it's too important not to. 
All right. Uh, there is some pushback on this, though, because uh, f- the the first pushback is this. Uh, we've spent a lot of money on homelessness before, and the problem just seems to get worse. We've, we've got a, a systemic issue where uh, as many homeless people as you try to put into uh, supportive housing, uh, you've got another pipeline of homeless people hitting the streets. Uh, and on top of that, there are uh, financial pressures, too, on the economy. You know, we don't know where the economy is going to go. We're dealing with some inflation right now. Uh, we might be facing some employment issues down the road. Things are okay right now, but who knows what the future holds. So spending this much money and accounting for a budget this big when we don't know how uh, well we're going to be doing and and maybe not well at all in the future, uh, how do you account for that? Where's the money coming from and what happens if uh, the economy goes uh, downhill? Uh, Well, I think that's why, as I indicated earlier, that she is being pragmatic in in what she is looking at, because there's federal funds, state funds, local funds that are being utilized. But she's also addressing, as I read uh, through the budget document and heard her speak yesterday, really is looking at preventative types of activities and working with the county to develop more uh, mental health beds and detox beds, um, as as well as ensuring their both uh, tenant rights uh, activists, as well as making sure that uh, creating more housing and going to the private sector. She's not depending upon just one source of funding, one solution, but more so all of these different areas, because you do need, as you accurately said, um, it is a a way to stop the flow of of potential uh, individuals into homelessness. And it costs, we all know, much more, much more when someone becomes homeless than it is to help them stay in that apartment unit or help them get into that facility. Uh, It is most cost-effective and humane as well. All right. Uh, Wendy, uh, we're going to be holding over for another segment after this, but uh, before we do that, uh, we're just now joined by uh, Luis Alvarado a veteran conservative political strategist. And before we uh, take a break here, uh, Lewis, I want to give you a chance to weigh in during this segment. Uh, uh, what comments do you have about the mayor's proposed budget uh, very quickly? And uh, then we'll save more of it for after we get an update from local news. Uh, what do you make of the budget? Well, sure. The, the first thing is that it's, it's very distinguishable from her predecessor. Uh, I think she has a, a completely new taste uh, or what she's uh, bringing to the table. And I think she's definitely uh, focused on making her mark and ensuring that although it's been a short period of time that she's had to make a difference, that she wants to, the world to know that she's definitely moving the, the needle in a different direction. All right. We've got uh, Wendy Gruel, a former, uh, formerly served as L.A. City Controller and a member of the City Council, also Luis Alvarado, veteran conservative political strategist uh, with us. They'll be coming back with us in just a minute. But coming up in a few minutes on KNX In-Depth, we're going to stick with the breakdown of L.A.'s state of the city with a focus on tackling the stubborn homeless issue. More talk on that coming up. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman. Well, as we all know, Mary Karen Bassa ran her campaign on uh, promises she would bring down the homeless population in L.A. and saying that that's going to be her top priority. And while the mayor has cleared out some big homeless encampments across the city, can she keep that progress going? Wendy Gruel, formerly served as L.A. City Controller and City Councilwoman, and Luis is with us. And Luis Alvarado is a veteran conservative political strategist with us as well. Luis, I'm going to start with you. Yesterday, uh, Fernando Guerra, uh, LMU political science professor, 
talked about how he understands that's a lot of money that uh, Mayor Bass needs to really make a dent in the homeless situation. But he felt that she would have the resources she would need if the ULA real property tax uh, gets out of being tangled up in the court system right now and that she'll have right. the resources to be able to make some really big changes, building housing, et cetera. What do you think about that? Well, my friend Fernando uh, Guerra, a professor, uh, uh, obviously always looks to the left side of the uh, spectrum when he wants to talk about solutions. And I'm not surprised that he wants to tax uh, Angelinos a little bit more. Uh, when in reality, I think uh, conservative and people who are actually paying for these uh, $1.3 billion uh, uh, for the homeless uh, challenge uh, are asking, uh, are we streamlining? Our, uh, is the mayor uh, looking at uh, uh, failures of uh, what Garcetti's program had uh, brought. Uh, I know there are also progressive organizations that are not happy with uh, the speed in which the mayor has implemented some of these changes. Uh, but I think Angelinos want to know how the dollars are being spent before they start uh, thinking about giving even more than what the uh, professor is proposing. Uh, let's go to Wendy Gruel now. Uh, Wendy, uh, you heard what uh, Lewis had to say. Uh, you, what do you make of that? Or do do you think Angelinos are being told uh, accurately and fairly uh, how their money is going to be used? And and can you sell them on the idea that the money is actually going to make a difference this time? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Mayor Bass came in this with her eyes wide open and knowing that this was not an easy task. But what she did is she's developed this budget based on her own experiences of walking the neighborhoods and working on the Inside Safe program that she created. She realized immediately and shared with me that we needed more medical services at these sites when we were uh, bringing people to some of that temporary shelter. She realized that we need more permanent housing and so was included money in there for purchasing of motels and hotels and looking to the private sector to partner on, on housing. Uh, she is, uh, you know, immediately did uh, an emergency declaration and got other levels of government to do that as well. Uh, she is practical. She's going to hold people accountable, but she understands that Angelinos particularly are going to make judgments on uh, future taxation or future programs based on whether they see progress. And so she is starting from the, you know, the street level to going up to the next level of, of making sure that people are housed. Uh, so she is uh, not daunted by this task and challenge, but and is realistic, but is committed to make sure that um, we can prove to people that with everyone at the table and providing funds, we can make a difference and get people off the street. I know we have a situation with our law enforcement, LAPD. We desperately need to hire more law enforcement and get more people on the police force that all ties in together with our homeless situation. What do you think that challenge is going to be like? I mean, that is going to take quite a bit of money to be able to attract uh, talented people and people who want to be part of the LAPD. But also, again, there's going to be a need for resources to be able to do that. Is she going to be able to pull that off as well? And and, and that's the question. I think uh, from a political standpoint, you know, she's trying to do a little Jerry Brown, you know, when it comes to the both sides of the spectrum and giving a little bit to the progressive side and also ensuring that the conservative side feel that that she's not a uh, 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 disingenuous and and the promises she made to to enforce uh you know or in, in to ensure that the police force is going to provide 
what they uh, have uh, uh, sworn to protect uh, Angelinos. And, and one of the things that, that, that I must uh, concur with, uh, with Wendy here is that, you know, so far, uh, I, I think the mayor has done a great job in politically ensuring that the world sees that she is on, that she actually, you know, put her boots on, put her gloves on, and she's working. I, I think it's uh, incredibly smart that she brought uh, other agencies uh, to be part of this uh, speech that she gave, you know, having uh, president uh, of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, Janice Hahn, uh, there with her, uh, really sends a message that she understands that this is, as a, as a leader of the city of Los Angeles, she doesn't have the sufficient tools or, or she doesn't have all the answers or all the resources to tackle this. And she needs the county and she also needs the state and at one point even some federal dollars. And her being in uh, leadership positions in all these different uh, uh, levels of agencies, she understands that she that she has a better chance of bringing them together. So she has one shot of doing this, uh, from my perspective, uh, into ensuring that right now it's still too early to tell. But by this time next year, she better have some really good results with regards to not just housing the homeless, but ensuring that some legislative laws are passed in Sacramento that actually give the, you know, that gives Sheriff Luna the opportunity to to empty some of those jails and put some of those uh, 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 mentally ill people in the right housing and take them out of the jails and making sure that the health system is is, is there working hand in hand. All right. So well, thanks you, Louis. We got to leave it there. Uh, Louis Alvarado, veteran conservative political uh, strategist with us. Also, Wendy Gruel, formerly served as LA City Controller and a member of the City Council. Coming up next, Dominion and Fox have reached a settlement. We'll dig in coming up in just a few minutes as KNX In-Depth continues. You are listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Elsa Ramon. Just as a blockbuster defamation trial was about to get underway, Fox News and Dominion Voting Systems reached a settlement just moments ago. Fox News is going to pay out $787 million, a bit more than that, to Dominion for all of those Fox anchors who were spreading lies and disinformation about the 2020 presidential election. Uh, that sounds like a lot of money, but it, it's probably a deal when you compare it to uh, what was up for grabs in this case, of $1.6 billion that Dominion was asking for. But but as we were about to go to trial, a settlement suddenly at the last minute. Kerry Kalanisi is uh, with the uh, University of Pennsylvania's Law School. Thanks for joining us today, Kerry. Happy to be here. So uh, is this settlement, we've heard they were trying to do a settlement on Monday. That's the rumor. And so making right. the settlement here at the last minute, is this a sign of how desperate Fox News was to keep this from going to trial and having more stuff come out? Well, I don't think it would have looked good for Fox to uh, go to trial, and it seems that that's what they assessed as well. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the the judge a month ago ha issued a ruling that really narrowed down the issues and gave Dominion really what I think of as a triple. If you've got to hit a home run to win a lawsuit, well, the judge basically gave Dominion a triple, and all they had to do was get home on one remaining element. So it was a very strong case, and uh, Fox... Uh, came to the table and and was willing to write a very, very big check. Carrie, um, the attorneys for Dominion said that while they are pleased at this settlement right now with Fox, they aren't done yet. 
I'm not sure if you heard the attorneys uh, speak just moments ago saying they have other news outlets that they plan on going after. And I don't know if that means necessarily financially, because the attorney did say that making them pay uh, with dollars is a punishment they were looking forward to. But do you think there are other ways they are going to go after some of these other uh, news organizations? And I'm thinking off the top of my head, uh, Newsmax is one of the One uh, America. Uh, yeah, oh, One yeah. America, uh, those other uh, networks. What do you think the attorneys are going to go for in those cases? Well, I think uh, you have to come off of something like this uh, feeling quite good for what you've delivered for your client. And if Dominion wants to go after additional uh, uh, entities, well, now they've got, in some sense, $787 million to pay lawyers to do that. So, yeah, just a lot of money, $787 million. But this is not the only uh, uh, voting company lining up to sue Fox News. you got another one coming down the pike, uh, Smartmatic, who I, I think is asking for even more money uh, than Dominion yeah. does. $2.7 does... I think yeah. they're asking. Yeah. So, so yeah. does this uh, ramp up the possibility of a settlement with Smartmatic? And, and how much money can Fox News afford to pay out? Yeah, that's those are the right questions. I think... Uh, if I were uh, at Smartmatic today, I'd be feeling like uh, I've got a lot more leverage uh, over Fox that I know that they're not willing to go to the mat anymore over this. So uh, look for that to be settled perhaps uh, somewhere down the road, too. It's really quite remarkable, Carrie, that these defamation cases made it this far, both for Smartmatic and Dominion, uh, you know, because almost always you don't ever see them reaching this point to the point of where it could actually go to trial. What do you think about Smartmatic and what they're going to do? Um, is it beyond just money or is it going to be about principle as well? Or do you think they might reach a settlement, too, now feeling emboldened after seeing what happened with Dominion? Well, you know, I will say that Dominion does prevail in principle as well in a way that Fox News in a statement issue today says that they acknowledge the court's rulings that found certain claims about Dominion to be false. So that is uh, close to uh, an apology right there. And and when it comes to principles uh, and when it comes to, to dollars, well, I think, uh, you know, large companies are willing to you know, uh, if the if the dollar amounts high enough, maybe uh, uh, give a little bit on the principle. So uh, I think it will with Smartmatic, it's just going to depend on how big of a check Fox is willing to write to them. Uh, Kerry, very quickly uh, before we end the show today, are you surprised that the revelations that already came out in this case about Fox News, about uh, some of the biggest personalities on the channel who uh when the cameras are off, thought that these claims were ridiculous nonsense. But then when the cameras are on, went and promoted them as if they fully believed them and they were fully behind this. Uh, are you surprised that that did not hurt Fox News with their audience as uh, quite so much as we expected it to? Well, you know, it, 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 you know, Donald Trump said it himself that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still have his supporters following him. And he's maintained a lot of support. And the, and the support for Fox on these issues is wrapped up with the, you know, the big lie of, that Trump has been been spewing as well. So uh, it's not, I guess, too terribly surprising, but, um, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for an entity that at least claims to be journalistic that they would secretly uh, tell each other that they knew 
what they were airing on on uh, on their broadcast was false. All right, Kerry Cullinese, thank you so much for uh, joining us today from the University of Pennsylvania's Law School. That's going to do it for KNX In-Depth. Uh, Elsa Ramon, another fine job of filling in for Charles Feldman. Uh, thank you, thank you, Charles. We hope you're feeling better. Whose game is afoot. <laughs> that was really bad. Aww. That was It was not worth the wait at all, and I apologize Aww. right here and now for Poor it. Poor Charles. Uh, that's it for KNX In-Depth today. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.